Hey guys, welcome to The Creative Entrepreneur. Today we have a great guest for you. We've been talking about building a company and bootstrapping it. You don't want to miss this episode, so stay tuned. Coming to you from San Antonio, Texas, welcome to The Creative Entrepreneur, a podcast created to help entrepreneurs build their business. Branding, marketing, analytics, positioning, and lead generation, plus interviews with other business owners to learn from their successes and failures. Now, here is your host, Abel Garza. Hey guys, welcome back to The Creative Entrepreneur, and today we're going to be talking about building a company through bootstrapping and the best approach for success. My next guest, he's built a startup company called GreenPal, and he's catapulted his sales to $20 million in revenue. His company, GreenPal, has been considered the Uber of landscaping. Please help me welcome Brian Clayton. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Abel. Great to be here. Man, it's awesome to have you on the show today. I know that you guys have been working really hard, and and you figured out this this way of building a company through a tech startup and and finding the the pain in the market. And uh, I'd really like to delve into you know how you built this company, some of the successes that you've had, and some of the techniques that you've used to generate income. So why don't we start out by giving me a little bit of information as to who you are, what you do, and how you help your customers? Yeah. So I'm CEO, co-founder of a company called GreenPal. It's basically in one sentence, it's the Uber for lawn mowing. A homeowner needs to get their lawn mowed. They can just use our app to get hooked up with a great lawn mowing service in their neighborhood. In less than a minute, they can hire them and get all set up. Everything goes well. They pay them right through the app and set up lawn mowing services through our platform for the entire lawn mowing season. It just happens like magic in the background. Uh, before GreenPal, uh, I've been at this business seven years, but before that, I actually started a traditional lawn mowing business. My dad forced me to go mow the neighbor's yard uh, on a hot summer day when I was a teenager, and ever since then, I was just hooked on entrepreneurship, hooked on business ownership, and I stuck with my little lawn mowing business all through high school, all through college, and I built it into a real company. Over a 15-year period of time, I grew that from just myself and a push mower to over 150 employees and got that company over $10 million in revenue uh, annually in 2013, and it was acquired by one of the largest landscaping companies in the United States. So after that, I kind of retired, took some time off, and the idea for GreenPal came to me because, honestly, I was just solving my own problem. I knew how hard it was for a homeowner just to get hooked up with a great grass-cutting service, saw what Airbnb and Uber and Lyft were doing and kind of traditional transactions in the real world, making them easier with technology. And so I recruited two co-founders, and we started working on GreenPal. And I've been at this for seven years. So we're at that we're the definition of a seven year overnight success. Uh, mm-hmm. At the end of our first year, I think we had like 20 customers. And now fast forward, we have over 200,000 people using the platform to get this chore done. And we're going to do $20 million in revenue this year. So uh, it's been a hell of a journey having to reinvent myself from a blue collar entrepreneur to a tech startup entrepreneur, but we just stuck with it, kept at it. Um, and we have, we have funded this business off of our own revenues. We haven't taken on any outside capital, uh, no outside investors. Uh, and that, that has enabled us to kind of take a very practical, sustainable, uh, pragmatic approach to building this platform. Uh, and, and almost not raising money is the reason why we're successful today. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that a lot that, you know, using your own money is the best way to, uh, you know, keep that revenue to, well, within the company, you know, and then you don't have to 
pay that to investors. And we need to talk about this for photography because, you know, we're in the photography business. <laughs> this would be a great idea for photography. So the idea of, of funding uh, your own company, your own tech startup, sometimes it can be uh, overwhelming. I mean, you know, the reason why a lot of people go to outside funding is because it's so expensive and, you know, you have to hire people to do the, the application and, you know, there's all kinds of other things that you need to bring in. Uh, so I think the, the, the biggest problem other than funding uh, that I find that a lot of entrepreneurs face is building the team uh, because we're not an expert in everything. And so understanding, you know, how to build the application, you know, marketing, funding, and, and all those other things come into play. But what was the, the, from, I guess, from the process of your startup to success, the process for building your team? Yeah. So the reality is, is that most businesses don't need a co-founder. Most businesses can be executed and pulled off just by you yourself as a solo entrepreneur. That's my opinion and been my experience. And so I think a lot of new business owners rush to go get a co-founder when in fact they really don't need one. They can, they can go it alone and they can, they can learn the expertise as they go and then delegate those to freelancers, subcontractors, or employees as time goes on. So you don't really need to split your equity with somebody uh, unless you absolutely need have to. And so there's some businesses where a co-founder is, is a, uh, recommended is advisable and so let's say you're starting a tech tech startup ideally you would have like a hacker and a hustler you would have somebody who's really good at sales somebody who's driven and motivated to to drive the product forward and drive the the vision forward and then you would have somebody who is just uh, a, a, a and their dna is an engineer somebody who's really good at the the technical aspect of it if, they, if you can bring those two, two, two sides of the brain together and like bring those two types of entrepreneurs together and mix that DNA together, it can uh, spell uh, a recipe for success. And, and, the, and so ideally when you have a co-founder, like one plus one should equal three. The two of you should be much more stronger together uh, than, than you are solo. Absolutely. The reality is most of the time uh, people you know, starting a business, they rush to go get a co-founder and it's like one plus one equals like 1.2 or 1.5. <laughs> the two of you aren't really bringing different skill sets or different DNA to the equation. So that would be the first thing that I would recommend. Uh, the next thing is, let's say that, that you, that you go through that mental exercise and you, and you believe that, okay, yeah, I have this co-founder that I want to bring to the table. I'm really good at sales. I'm really good at like execution. I'm really good at project management. And they're really good at this other thing that I don't have. Okay. Let's say you do that. Uh, you really need to, need to look at it as though it's a marriage, like you're marrying that person. Because the reality is, is that most business partnerships, are, uh, if you're successful, are going to last longer than a traditional typical marriage does on average these days. <laughs> and and another, another aspect of it to look at is that um, it's actually more difficult to unwind a business partnership than it is to get to get a divorce out of a marriage. And so if you're going to, uh, and, and then a third, third th thing to look at is you're going to spend more time with this person than you are with your spouse. And so as you are looking at like co-founding a business with somebody who's a stranger, you need to like really ask yourself, can you trust them? Uh, do they have evidence of getting things done in like in the past that impresses you? Uh, are, are they quite frankly, uh, do they aspire, do they inspire you? Uh, are they somebody that you like in a sense want to marry because you're going to be getting married to them into this, in this business. So those are the things to consider when, when recruiting a team, recruiting a co-founder, try to go it alone. If you do, uh, 
uh, make sure you're in love with the person because it's, it's going to be uh, very similar to a traditional marriage. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny you say, you know, oftentimes I talk to my brother and my brother and I are always doing that. I was like, man, well, if I had to spend enough time or a lot of time with somebody, it would be with my brother, you know. There you go. Uh, so, you know, as far as I, I really want to delve into the legality part of it also because I think that's important. But what I really want to know is – uh, how did you minimize the risk of failure? Because a lot of tech companies, a lot of startups will will start their business and failure is almost inevitable. In fact, the, there's just a, a majority of startups will fail. And that's just the way it is. How did you minimize the chances for failure? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, the reality is, is if you're inventing a new product from scratch that does not yet exist. Um, so there's a big difference between like starting a business and being an entrepreneur inventing a product. So you mentioned the photography business earlier, maybe, you know, you, you find yourself in a major city and you just want to be the best damn wedding photographer in that city. And you're just going to go out and slug it out. Well, that's mm -hmm. starting a business, but let's say you want to like start a uh, marketplace that enables uh, people to hire a wedding photographer at the touch of a button. Well, that's very different. That's inventing a new product from scratch. So the latter has a very, very high degree of, of failure rate because you're inventing a product from scratch that does not yet exist and you're having to breathe life into it and you're, you're having to try to like figure it out as you go. And it can be one of the most fun and fulfilling things that you'll ever try to do. But the reality is, is that it's really, really hard. It's going to take several years to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So the way that you try to like tilt the odds of success into your favor is to, is to use a, a methodology that they, that they outline in a book called the lean startup, which, which in one sentence is fire bullets, then cannonballs. So you're really just making experiments, short little small experiments to try to validate the idea. And so let's say that, uh, let's say you did want to start the Uber for wedding photographers. Like right off the bat, I'm not sure it's a good idea, but the way that you would go about doing that is, is you would try to create a prototype, hack together something as simple as you you can and put it in front of people and see if they would use it. You might try to hand crank your first uh, dozen people or hundred people to try to use this prototype to book a, a wedding photographer through your interface. And then if you got validation, it's like, yeah, you know what? I was able to hustle together through flyers or whatever means necessary, uh, 12 people to book a wedding photographer on my prototype. Uh, then you have some sort of validation that it's worth going into the lab for a year and building this thing. Yeah. The problem is, is most people just like rush into uh, in, in, into their laptop and they start writing code or they start or they pay a developer and they just build this idea before doing any of that customer research. And then they've wasted a year or two or three years of their time and money. And that's and one of the reasons why most tech startups fails, because they don't do this experimentation, this upfront validation of the idea mm -hmm. and then continue that that ethos of experimentation throughout the, the journey of breathing that company to life. Yeah. So that's one of the ways to, to, to tilt the odds in your favor. Another thing that's helped us is that we have funded the business only on its own revenues. And so uh, like scarcity is the mother of invention. Like we had to focus on one thing and that's delighting users, delighting customers. If we weren't solving the problem, they weren't going to pay any money uh, to, 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 to get the services done on our platform. So constantly having to make sure customers are happy and make sure users are happy is, 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 is table stakes if you're funding the business yourself. And that's one of those things that's kind of kept us disciplined throughout the last seven years of building a product that people love to use is because quite frankly, we had to 
we had to pay our own bills with the revenue. Whereas if you raise $100,000 or a million dollars or $10 million from investors, a lot of times that can paper over these things and, and, uh, and waste your time and waste a lot of capital. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the beginning, you did, you talked about the pain in the market and how it was difficult for other uh, landscapers to get with the customer or find, find the customers. And, and I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't do in the beginning as well is find that pain and understand that there is pain in the market. One of the ways I advise some of my, um, some of the entrepreneurs that I, I get in touch with is to listen for this phrase. If you can listen to for this phrase, I think it kind of pinpoints what the pain in the market would be is man. I wish anything that follows man. I wish I think that that will pretty much give you the idea of what that pain is in the market. And if you tackle that pain and then you start doing your market research like you did, and then, you know, you can figure out what type of funding you want to do, but if you can start at least with the pain in the market and then look at how you're going to research that particular pain in the market, whether or not it's a pain or not, you know, I'll give you an example. A guy came to me the other day and he's like, Hey, well, I have this great opportunity. I'm going to be buying this van. It's got, it's got all the carpet cleaning equipment in there and I got it for $50,000 and I'm going to start cleaning carpets and I'm going to make a bunch of money. And I said, Oh man, that's awesome. Um, but how are you going to do that? If everybody in your neighborhood has hardwood floors, and he's like, holy, holy crap, dude, I didn't think about that. I said, yeah, well, what's the first thing you got to do? He says, well, maybe I can call some people and, uh, you know, check to see if they have carpet or hardwood floors, or maybe I can call some of the manufactured homes or the homes that are the home builders uh, and what they're installing in the in the, in the the houses. So like, yeah, you got to do your research, you know, do a sample of maybe 100 people or so and figure, or not, figure out whether or not these people have hardwood floors, maybe you need to invest in a hardwood floor cleaner. So, you know, it's just one of those things that if you are in the, if you're going to be building a company, if you're going to be building a, a business, you have to know whether or not it's going to be viable, regardless, it doesn't matter if you're going to invest your own money. I mean, even if you're investing other people's money, you still want to do the research because if they're investing their money, they're going to say, what type of research have you done? You know, who have you called? Yeah, absolutely. They're going to ask for numbers and research and how much, you know, what have you done to to uh, to get that market research, even if it's secondary or firsthand, it doesn't matter. But they're going to they're going to want that information. And you as a business owner should be doing that anyways. And I think that a lot of people who start their own business, they just do that willy nilly and just do that blindfolded, you know, and not knowing whether or not they're going to have a viable company. So I guess. When you when you started your company and you have that you know you did your market research, um, what opportunities did you find uh, that really catapulted your success? Yeah, so <clears throat> I think for starters, having that bias towards action and actually like spending time planning, but even more time doing is is going to help increase your chances of of success and so for us yeah we 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 built the first version of the platform and we just didn't sit back and and wait for people to try to use it we we passed out like two hundred thousand door hangers all over nashville tennessee to get people to use it mm-hmm. and then we then begged as many of these people as we as as would listen to us to meet with us and let us buy them a cup of coffee or buy them dinner so we could talk to them face to face and understand okay what problems did you hope that we would solve what problems did we actually solve where did we come up short 
what do you, like you mentioned a minute ago, man, I wish, what do you wish the product would do that it didn't do? And, and, and also how do you normally like get this one thing done? How do you get your grass cut normally? Mm-hmm. By going through that cycle of meeting with people, the early adopting users and customers of our platform, we were able to learn all sorts of things. First, we thought we were solving the problem of getting your grass cut for the cheapest price possible. And after talking to the first couple hundred people that tried the, the product, we learned, no, that's not the problem we're solving. We're solving the problem of the guy not showing up and the, and the guy being unreliable or gal or, and, and the person actually doing the job on the day they're supposed to be doing it. So then we came to understand that we're actually solving a problem of reliability and speed and price is secondary to that. And so that informed all sorts of things in terms of our marketing messaging, in terms of how we were advertising the product, in terms of how we were positioning it, in terms of how we were actually building the software. Uh, we began to understand that we're actually delivering reliability and speed and getting this chore done. And so long as the price was reasonable and affordable and in the market, we'd be fine. Mm-hmm. But if had we not spent the time to, to, to do that research and talk to those first few hundred people, we never would have come across that, that insight. And so this ethos of constantly talking to our customers, constantly talking to people that are using our platform uh, carries through even to this day, seven years later with over 200,000 people using it. I myself as the co-founder and CEO, I still talk to users and customers every single day uh, uh, through, through our live chat. I, I dedicate at least an hour, sometimes two hours a day talking to customers. So I'm never at a loss uh, to wonder where should we be improving the product? Where should we be building on features? Uh, where are some opportunities that we should be uh, focusing on? It's, mm-hmm. I'm, never at, I'm never wondering the answers to those questions because I'm always talking to customers. This might sound like a very trite, simple yeah. thing, but it's 99% of businesses, especially new ones, don't do it yeah. because quite frankly, it's painful. It's painful it to get that feedback. It's painful to get told and hear that you suck, <laughs> but you have to have that river of feedback coming to you if you're going to build something that people want to pay for. Yeah, absolutely. And then that really applies to everything, very pretty much every aspect of your life. And in business, it's super important to get that feedback. In fact, whenever we finish the podcast, I'm going to ask for your feedback. You know, whenever we do a photo session, we get their feedback. You know, what was your experience? How did you, did you like, did you have fun? You know, are things that, that we could do differently, you know, uh, just different things that, you know, you want to ask and get feedback for it's essential and it's super important. You know, how did you initially uh, monetize this? Did you offer it for free? Yeah, so if I could have offered it for free for years, I would have. But the reality is, is that we we had to pay our bills, we had to pay our engineers, we had mm-hmm. to pay the the lights and rent in this office. We had to we had to like keep the lights on. So it focused us to constantly be solving the problems of the people using this product. So the way we monetize is we take a transaction fee for every uh, lawn mowing that occurs on the platform, and so mm-hmm. we kind of have two two user bases almost. We have homeowners that have tall grass that needs to be mowed. And then we have service providers, lawn care professionals that make a living on top of our platform. And so we offer a nice convenience to homeowners, but we really offer a livelihood to service providers. And so we were having to balance the needs and desires of, of both sides of this transaction and kind of figuring that out uh, in the early days was kind of a trial and error process of striking a right balance between them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for us, we, we had to create like a win-win-win 
a win for homeowners, a win for service providers, and a win for the platform GreenPal, and synthesizing that and, and like orchestrating that, that that delicate balance between uh, everybody's needs took us a long time to figure out. Mm-hmm. And one the one way we got got through it was we just we stayed small. We focused on Nashville, Tennessee, and making this product work in our local market in our own backyard before we expanded it. You know, now we're in every major city in the United States, but we spent three years just in Nashville, Tennessee, making sure that the product worked, making sure when a homeowner signed on that they would actually get quotes quickly. And if they hired one of them, that the lawn mowing service professional would show up on the day they said they would. It took a long time to figure this stuff out, but we just kept experimenting, kept iterating, kept listening to users and, and, and applying the feedback to making the product better and being patient and, and, and taking that long game approach is, is the reason why we're, you know, where we're at today, where we're profitable and still growing 100% year over year. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, finding your niche, you know, I mean, you, you're, you're looking at this from a perspective, a lot of people like I, I, when they're starting the business, they, they, they have a shotgun, right? And they want to do everything. Yeah. And I'm just like, no, man, you need an arrow. You need to find, yeah. you need to find that small niche and then you can grow, become an expert right. in that niche and then grow because like in photography, for example, people want to do wedding and the photography and, and, and headshots and portraiture and, and boudoir and you name it. They want to do everything. I'm like, look, you want to start a photography business because I do get a lot of, uh, uh, you know, aspiring photographers that come to me and, and say that they want to start their own business. And I say, start with one thing, very, you know, and become an expert in that. Start with headshot photography or portraiture or whatever it is that, that you feel you have a passion for, and then you can expand from there. But Absolutely. I think a lot of people, what they do is they try to the shotgun effect and it, 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 it extends them for one. Uh, they're not an expert in it, so they'll get bad reviews or bad feedback. And if you, f- you hone in on that one thing, then you become that expert you get great reviews, you get above par uh, uh, quality, and then you can just expand from there. Now, you said that you expanded from one location. So, you, so you, you, th- I guess this platform can be used nationwide. Why, why did you start, uh, I guess, why did you start locally? Yeah, great question. And to your point, yes, you have to start small and figure out what your wedge strategy is. And so uh, what I tell entrepreneurs is like, if you have a digital product, like somebody needs to come to the landing page or the homepage and understand in three seconds what it does. And, you know, they need, need to be able to answer three questions. Where am I? What can I do here? And why does it matter? And they need to be able to answer that in three questions. And unless you're focused on one problem, one, solving one one thing, it's it's impossible to do that. So like focus is everything in the early days. For us, we focus just on Nashville because if we can't make it work in Nashville, then we can't make it work in Indianapolis or Tampa or New York or mm-hmm. Chicago. And so we knew we needed to make the, the system work just in one geographical area because mm-hmm. uh, we have a network but it's a local network. You, if you are a lawn mowing serve, if you're a, a, a service professional, you only serve like 10, 10 mile ra- uh, radius of where you work. You don't, you don't go all over Chicago. You, you only, you only service like South side of Chicago. And so we have to like make it not only on like a city base, basis, but like on a, on a neighborhood by neighborhood basis. And so starting small and then expanding out is kind of how we have built this thing from the ground up. So every single city, town, neighborhood, suburb has to be built from the ground up and so there was no reason to like 
uh, the motto is nail it, then scale it. Mm-hmm. We had to nail it in Nashville and then scale it. Uh, whereas if we had tried to scale it too quickly without perfecting the model, uh, then we would have like been in the graveyard of, of dead startups, uh, that, that you see, you know, to this day, there was a big boom of Uber for X lawn, uh, uh, startups, uh, probably 13, 14, 15, 16, you know, Uber for laundry service, Uber for, uh, home cleaning mm-hmm. or for valet parking. And there's like several billion dollars of capital crashed into the ground trying to chase these ideas. Yeah. And a lot of the reason why they didn't work out is because they didn't take a, uh, a very sustainable approach to solving the problem. They try to grow too quickly. Yeah. And that's one thing capital can, can cause is you to make that mistake of growing too quickly. And what I equate it to is like taking an old rickety barn and trying to like put rocket boosters on the side of that barn and getting it to fly. Like it's just <laughs> going to blow apart. And so if that's, that's what, what would happen to us if we had to take in like three years to get it right in Nashville and then go to our second city, third city. And then when we were really ramping up, we were launching a city every week. Mm-hmm. You know, I noticed that when, because we talked about the photography platform, or at least a possibility of, I, as a photographer, you get approached by that. And so I noticed that when I did some research on these companies that are startups and they're utilizing this type of, of uh, technique or the service where the customer goes through this platform and then it's disseminated throughout the, the uh, I guess, the, the service providers. And uh, I noticed that they, they would start in a, in a particular city, like let's just say they started in New York. So they will start in New York and then they're starting to expand throughout the country. And I think I mean, what you're telling me is that as you grow, you really need to just focus on being that, making sure that that area is viable. I mean, it, yeah. what, what, so if you if you came into San Antonio, I mean, I get my, my lawn cut here, uh, and I think a lot of people do in San Antonio. If you were to expand into San Antonio, which you probably already are, you know, uh, you know, you would, what, start contacting people who, who cut, cut grass or landscapers and then bring them onto the platform. And what do you vet these people? Yeah, it's a great question. So a lot of the, uh, the, the reasoning behind going city by city and starting in your local neighborhood and getting it right is because you perfect this recipe and this kind of rollout strategy. You perfect Mm. the, the playbook of how you, market by market, build each market from the ground up. And what are the hundred things that you do in order to make that happen? And so, yeah, we are live in San Antonio, really good market for us. Mm. And so when we launched it uh, four years ago, you know, we would, we'd come to town and we would talk to a hundred lawn mowing services and we would vet the ones that, that were, we, we knew would be a good fit for our platform and we would get them onboarded. We'd make sure that they were all set up and ready to go. And then we would turn on the marketing for homeowners to come to list their lawn mowing for, for prices. And so those people can bid on it. Mm -hmm. And then we know, okay, well, uh, these people can be hired off the shelf, so to speak, because they're already onboarded, but we've only got about a month of bandwidth before we can uh, a month of attention span from these from these folks so we can drive uh, a homeowner demand to them and so yeah. it's kind of this balance between the two and starting the chain reaction of uh, of, of of matches to occur and you kind of you achieve this uh, critical mass of buyers and sellers in every market and so doing that over and over and over again is is what we do and is how we've built every market from the from the ground up if we just you know, 
made it to where you could hire a lawn mowing service in San Diego without doing all of those things, you know, you as the homeowner, you list your lawn for auction and you don't get five bids back in less than a minute, you're not going to use it. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, if you're a lawn mowing service and there's not homeowners, uh, you know, who want to hire you, you're going to abandon it. So getting that, getting that right. And, and getting the, the, those, those overlaps of supply and demand to occur, uh, in kind of manufacturing that momentum is something we've had to do in every city from the ground up. Absolutely. Absolutely. What have been some of your failures? What, what are some of the things that you did when you were, you were starting this company that you know you're not going to do? Yeah. Yeah. So it's taken me seven years, my team and I, seven years to get to where we are. You know, if I had to start all over again tomorrow or go back in time, I could probably do it all in a year. So you learn a lot. Uh, you, and, and so success is a terrible teacher. You know, the only way you learn is through failure. And so that's why there's like an ethos of, of fail fast in, in the tech startup world. It's like experiment that didn't work, learn, and then repeat. And do that over and over and over again. And, and really, that can be applied to any business. You know, your buddy with the carpet cleaning business. He, the sooner he can get out there and experiment about what kind of clients he can serve, the better. And so, uh, and so that's, that's one thing that like, it took us a long time to figure stuff out. And a lot of mistakes that we made were, uh, delegating things too quickly. Uh, we tried to delegate the, the techno, the, the technology piece of this too soon. We, we hired a de development agency in Nashville to, to build the first version of GreenPal, paid them $150,000 to build it. And it was a total piece of junk. It didn't work. Uh, it was hard to use. It didn't really uh, solve the problems that are, that are, customers expected it to. And so we had to learn the hard way that if we're going to be in the technology business, we're going to have to learn the code. We're going to have to learn how to design software. We're going to have to learn how to distribute software. And so all of these things we had to learn ourselves in the early years while we were doing them. Uh, had I known now what I know, well, you know, and then I, I would have like, like waste, you know, I'd, 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 I'd sidestep that mistake because we wasted like a year of our time and almost $200,000. And I wouldn't have done that. I just would have gone right to work learning this stuff and, and building. So that was a mistake trying to delegate too quickly without having mastery of the stuff. Um, and so uh, one that I wouldn't make again. <laughs> you, when you, I guess when you delegated it, you didn't really realize the, their, whether or not they were an expert in it or that they could do the job. Is that what you're telling me? Um, it, I did, I, I, mm -hmm. I didn't know what I didn't know. And so they were fine. I mean, they, they could build That's software, right. Right. but the thing was, is I didn't even know what they should be building mm -hmm. because, because I didn't have my product in anybody's hands. And so, uh, the concept of iterating, which is mm -hmm. just these small little minor improvements over and over and over again, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of these improvements on yeah. your, your software product is just how software gets built. And so when you don't, have the ability to write code yourself, you're then reliant on a, on a third party shop to do these things. Um, it's an impossible dynamic because, because they, you're paying them and they're, and they're not your employee. And mm -hmm. so it's like, it's, it's not, not possible to move quick enough. And a lot of times it's like the way the stuff gets built is they call it a waterfall approach where you start with a, with a, it's almost like building a, a, a skyscraper mm -hmm. and then realizing you, you built the wrong skyscraper, you got to tear it down. Ideally, you would just build it little by little by little and with customer feedback the entire way. So then you're building the right thing as you go. Whereas if you work with a third party shop like we did, it's like building that building and then realizing nobody wants to move into it. 
And uh, ideally, mm. you would have gotten feedback along the way while you're building that building. And so uh, that's how software should be built. And that's how, and then we didn't know that. Like we, we gave them the specs, but the problem is the specs were wrong. Mm -hmm. We didn't know what the specs should be because we didn't have any users using it. So it's one of these things you kind of like, you yeah. got to have to, like I said, fire bullets and cannonballs. You have to really kind of ease into it and yet to have the ability to build it yourself in order to compete in this kind of business. So would you have said that the architecture should have been better when you, when you initially built it? Yeah, it's like the, the product was wrong. Mm. Uh, the interfaces were wrong. Uh, the way uh, the 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 way that it was positioned in terms of the copy on on the product was wrong. Mm. Um, there were features that we built, such as uh, 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 review systems uh, that necessarily weren't necessary in the first version, yeah. but uh, but but scheduling reminders and and and, uh, and a robust scheduling uh, toolkit for the service providers was. And so like all of these things we didn't know until we got our first hundred transactions, you know, caused us to waste a year, year and a half and, and $150,000 yeah. um, that had we been able to build the stuff ourselves, we would have, we would have been able to sidestep that mistake. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I mean, it's what a great concept. I love that the, I love when people are successful. I just love it. I think that's, that's, primarily why we started this this podcast is to help other people start their business and and seeing you being successful with this company is it's it's amazing uh and i love to share that i love when when you're, you're able to come on the show and, and be able to give us your insight and how you built your business and how you've been successful with it too uh, i mean because everybody is entrepreneurs they have this dream you know they they, they want to build and that and a lot of entrepreneurs that's what they'll tell me is like well what why are you being an entrepreneur because i want to build something i want to build it right. you know and that's uh the 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 building analogy is a perfect example as well so we're getting close to the end of the podcast and i usually like to ask the guests if they have any words of wisdom or some rules that you live by yeah uh words of wisdom as it relates to to business ownership is no matter what you're doing, like look at your business as an infinite game. Uh, it's going to be the thing you're going to be doing for the next 10, 20 years. Uh, even if you're just getting started, uh, if you're not uh, excited about working on that idea for the next 10 years, 20 years, however long it takes to be successful, then don't do it. Because the reality is, is it's, it's going to take at least five years before you have something going as profitable that, that, it, that you've got some momentum behind you. And so, don't look at any of these business ideas as something that's going to be a one or two or three year endeavor because it's never the case. It's just not not how it's going to unfold. So look at it as like, this is the thing. This is my best idea. This is what I'm working on. And it's going to be the thing I'm working on until it's finished, whatever that looks like. And that's going to be a 10 or 20 year thing. Treat business as an infinite game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to have that grit. You got to keep on going, make it happen. It doesn't happen overnight. A lot of times people, especially investors, will ask, you if you have a secondary job or a primary job and if you're not fully invested they're not going to invest with you and that's one of those things you got to be fully invested in this company and get down get down and start grinding you know get get out from behind that tv stop binge watching netflix and and, right. and you know get to work so uh how can our listeners uh, get a hold of you 
yeah so anybody wants to connect with me you can connect with me on linkedin uh hit me up on uh, instagram or twitter brian m clayton or you can even email me brian b-r-y-a-n at yourgreenpal.com and uh i'm on all those places awesome awesome well man thank you for coming on the show you're an inspiration to me and our listeners and i'm so glad to have had you on the show today Hey, well, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, awesome. Well, there you go, guys. Brian Clayton, all his information is going to be in the show notes. Remember, find your pain in the market, leverage your money, build a team, you know, uh, do your research. Uh, you know, don't use that shotgun. Be sure and use an arrow. Uh, don't delegate too quickly. And so uh, uh, just get out there and, and definitely grind and find that grit that you have get out from behind that Netflix. It's a killer and, uh, and get to work. And, uh, like I said, all of his information is going to be in the show notes. Check it out. If you want to contact him directly, he's, he's going to, his information is going to be there as well. Be sure and check out the creative entrepreneur.net. We're also transitioning to creative entrepreneurship.net creative entrepreneurship.net. Be sure and check us out there. Also tcepodcast.net is going to be also our platform as well. And until next week, Keep on keeping on. Thank you for listening to The Creative Entrepreneur. Please click the show notes for additional information. Want to know more? Click on the subscribe button and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by visiting us at tcepodcast.net.